chapter 9, from verse 19 down to 23. So I'll read it. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I, may, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. And so as you know, we've been blessed by the series, uh, Love Thy Neighbor, um, and Marcus and Javella, you know, telling us how, how, what does that look like, how we're to practically do it. What I'm going to do today is trying to give, I'm going to try, apply the truth of the gospel to shape our understanding as our motive to, to how we are to go about sharing the gospel, how we are to be encouraged to do it. Now, evangelism is one of those things like prayer. You know, you mention it and, and people are like, they want to kind of hide because we realize just like prayer, just like evangelism, it's something that we struggle to do. You know, we can all think about times where God has kind of given an opportunity to share the gospel and you've just been like, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to do it today, you know, or I'll leave that to another time. And we, and we don't act upon the clear opportunity that God has given us. And so I don't want to bring a message of evangelism to kind of beat you up and whip you and be like, go out there and evangelize, evangelize, because that's not, the whip doesn't make the Christian progress. It's, it's the rod of God's love. It's his love that, as Paul says, controls us, that constrains us, that moves us to greater and greater acts of service and love. And so what I want from this, this brief, it's going to be a brief message on evangelism, is to, just to encourage you to share the gospel, to rest in Christ, to keep sharing the gospel, to pray, but to do it from a place, as Paul says in verse 23 there, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. This is why we do what we do. This is our motive. We do it for the gospel. And so as Christians, we are to love our neighbors and we are to reach them with the gospel. We, how, we are to be in the world, but not of it. You know, when we look at the world, we see it perishing. You know, we see the sin, even as Samson's testimony. We see the reality that is gripping older generations, younger generations. As the scripture says, men will go from worse, worse, darker, darker. It just progresses to greater levels of sin, and it is literally destroying our society. And so in this time, the church, us as Christians, have to adopt the spirit and the words of the Apostle Paul here. He says here in verse 19, I've laid aside, I've become a servant that I may win more, that I may win people to Christ. He says later on in, in, in a verse, as you go down, um, that I might win the weak, that I might win those who are under the law. Paul's understanding of evangelism was to win, to win souls, to bring people to Christ. And we too must adopt that. We too must have that same outlook, that same spirit within us, that we too must 
win people to Christ. We too must make the effort to save some, as Paul is saying here. Paul was not seeking to educate or to moralize people or to make people better. Some people think that's what kind of Christianity is, is to set up schools, to set up hospitals, to set up charities. And we praise God for those things. Those things are wonderful and we want more of them and we rejoice in them. But we can never divorce it from the fact that Christ came to save sinners. He came to save souls. And as the church of God, we preach and we act, yes, to relieve suffering, materialistically, physically, but our aim is souls. We know that people are of eternal value and the world doesn't understand that. The world just looks at people and thinks monkey or evolved sludge. We look at people and we say, no, image of God and therefore eternal, of greater value than even the world, as Jesus says. So the gospel was spread in no other way than than us being able to communicate it in humility and love. We cannot do, we cannot just have works, we cannot just have good acts and no gospel and no, not the ability to communicate. We must have both. We must have the ability to preach and work, to preach and work. And that's what uh, the Apostle Peter said of Jesus in his uh, sermon to Cornelius. He says, Jesus was a man mighty in word and deed. And you know, <laughs> the it's, the Christian life is all about balance. It's about having, it's living in the tension, the tension of the yet and the not yet. And um, it just is so true here because there's certain Christians who will be all deed, you know. We need to love people. We need to act. We need to build charities. We need to give to the poor. And we need to do those things, 100%. But then there's another side of Christians who will say, no, in order to love our neighbor, we need to preach, 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 share the gospel, and, and don't worry about human suffering. You know, we, we can't deal with that. We just need to preach. And both of them are right but run. We need to come into the middle and have both. We need to be imitating Christ, mighty in word and deed. And Christ is our perfect example. You know, it's something that we often forget, but do you know in the gospel... There was never a time that Jesus did not love his neighbor as himself. Once. There was not a single moment or second where Jesus did not love his neighbor perfectly. Perfectly. It's incredible. When you think about us, there is not a time or a moment in my life or your life where you have loved your neighbor perfectly. But Jesus done it 24-7 every day. And yet we see from Christ, though he was mighty indeed... We know that he wasn't afraid to share the reality of hell. He wasn't afraid to share the reality of sin. He wasn't afraid to say repent and believe the gospel. He wasn't afraid to call the Pharisees a brood of vipers. He wasn't afraid to tell people unless they repent, they will perish. And many will look at that and be like, that's not loving. And then I would say, so are you, are you more loving than Jesus? Do you have a better ethic than Jesus does? And so we need to imitate him in his words and in his actions. And the Corinthians had kind of got themselves into a bit, of a, a bit of a mess here. If you read the book of 1 Corinthians, you know that the church had had multiple issues. One of them here was that the Corinthians were using their freedoms 
So they had understood the gospel. They had understood the fact that when you come to Christ, you are free. You are free. You are free from the law. You do not have to obey seasons, weeks, months, dietary. You know, you can be vegan if you want. You can eat meat if you want. Those things no longer confine and constrain a believer. He is free in regards to food and those type of things. And, and the Corinthians understood that. But Paul has to say to them in chapter 8, verse 1, he says, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge, but this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. See, the knowledge that the Corinthians had gained through the gospel was not ending in love. It was not building them up and, 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 and them going out and building others up, but rather they had gained this knowledge concerning the gospel and now they were using it without caring for their brothers or sisters. And so they were essentially saying, well, if I'm free to eat what I want, I can eat that food. And if, if it causes my brother to stumble, if he doesn't like the fact that I'm, that I'm vegan, it doesn't matter. You know, I'm going to be a vegan and I'm going to eat what I want. But then another brother, may, that may cause him to stumble because he may think it's, it's not right for a Christian to do that. And what Paul says is no. If eating certain foods will cause my brother to stumble, then I won't eat anything. Yes, I know that I am free. Yes, I know that in Christ I am free, but I will not allow anything to come in the way of the gospel. I will not put a stumbling block before my brothers and sisters. So that's kind of the context in, in which Paul's doing that. In, ver in chapter 9, from verse... Uh, chapter 9, he begins to talk about himself and say, he uses himself as an example, am I not an apostle, am I not free, but yet look at me, I've relinquished all my rights, I've handed over all my rights, I've sacrificed all my rights in order to share, in order to share the gospel. If it's going to hinder me witnessing for Christ, then I'm ready to get rid of it, I'm ready to put it to the side. So what does Paul tell us here about evangelism, his understanding of evangelism, of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Well, the first thing is sacrifice. Evangelism, gospel-shaped evangelism, has sacrifice. There is sacrifice. And so we see that in verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more. So Paul says, though I am free, I have made myself a servant. Now, let me ask you, what word would you use to describe Christianity? What word would you use to describe it? If you were to ask me, I would use the word sacrifice. You know, when you look at the life of Jesus, how would you describe his life and death but of sacrifice? Though he was God, though he was in the form of God, he regarded it not, a, he, he emptied himself. He didn't regard a quality of God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. He laid aside his crown. He sacrificed, as it were, his glory. And even as he walked this, on, on this world, as he walked in the deserts of Palestine, he was sacrificing his rights. Though he was God, he was not saying to people, look, I'm God, just listen to me. You know, hear what I'm saying, obey me because I'm God. No, he was humble. He was sacrificing what was rightly his I mean, he could have said, guys, stop, you know, I'm here, I'm the son of God, I want everyone to listen to me right now. You know, if he can calm the waves of the sea with a word, of course he can turn our hearts and, and make us obey. 
But he didn't. He sacrificed his rights. And we see that on the cross where he gave up his own soul for us. He sacrificed his body and his blood for our salvation, that we may be saved. And so I would use the word sacrifice to define the Christian life. And Paul knew that. Paul knew this. You know, in Galatians chapter 2, where he says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In that verse, he says that he gave himself up for me. See, Paul used that. The gospel had so transformed his understanding. It had transformed his relationships. It had transformed his habits. Everything he'd done had now come under the rule of Jesus Christ. The one who gave himself up for me, I am then willing to give myself up for others. And so Paul here was laying out himself as an example. As Christ served me, as Christ was a servant of men, so I am myself have become a servant to others. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so the gospel, we see, had led Paul to sacrifice, to give up his rights. And this, this, this understanding of sacrifice is summed up in the words of um, verse 22. He puts it like this. Or is it verse 20? No, verse, yeah, the end of verse 22, sorry. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I have become all things to all people. Now, there is a movement, I'm not sure if you're aware of it, um, and it's kind of like the seeker-friendly movement. And it has this understanding of the church as, as well, how would you say it? Essentially, it, it's, it's the church trying to adapt to the culture in order to win people. So basically, they say, in order for us to communicate the message of the gospel, we must become like our culture so people can hear us. You know, nobody's going to hear us if they're not comfortable with us. We need to make people comfortable before they will respond to the gospel. And I just want to say to you, this is not what Paul's saying here. Paul's not saying that we must become like the world to save the world. Paul's not saying that. What Paul is saying is that his rights, his racial identity, his his preferences in regard of food, these things were never going to be a hindrance to him in reaching others for the gospel. He was ready to give that up. He explains what he means. He puts it in his own words there from verse 20. He says, To the Jews I have become as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God but under the law of Christ. That's quite hard to say. That's a tongue twister. But you get what he's saying. He's saying, look, if me being a... if, if I will meet people where they are in regards to their religious expression. To the Jews, I will become a Jew. I will adopt their Jewish um, laws, you know, the, the food and all those laws that they have in place. You know, we couldn't mention them all now. But I will take them on in order to go to where they are to reach them with the gospel. I will not allow that to hinder. I will lay aside my racial identity. I will go to the Gentiles and share the gospel with them and not myself being under the law. 
But he says, I won't take myself from the law of Christ. So he's not talking about the morals law. He's not essentially saying, okay, I'm going to stop being a Christian. I'm going to stop living by the word of God and what God commands us to do. But he's just saying, as regard to his own rights, his own privilege, his own racial identity, I will lay that aside. And that's a good word for us today because there is so much of this racial identity um, going on in, in regards of the church. Um, I don't know too much about it myself, but I, I read a few things here and there's, just, there's a lot of debate going on, you know, should there be black churches or white churches or Hispanic churches or, you know, just this ethnic divide. And we don't see that in the gospel. The gospel so liberates us that we now view human beings for human beings. No longer does skin or race or culture or country separate us. Paul says... Um, we're all one in Christ. Bar- barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. We're all one in Christ. Christ gives as much dignity to the slave as to the prince. As much dignity to the little child as to an old man. We are all one in Christ and we are all given the same dignity and honor. You know, there's the example of uh, Hudson Taylor, the missionary to China. Maybe you've heard of him. And he was a missionary in China for about 51 years. Um, and, it, and, and his story is that when he first went to China, he didn't see a conversion for eight years. Eight years. So if any of you want to be missionaries, don't be discouraged when you don't see no one converted for eight years, okay? Keep pressing on. You know, I, I love that because we just think, you know, we need to go out and we're just going to see results. We might not see results for eight years. And he was a faithful believer. He was pressing on. He was in China, preaching every day, praying. Eight years, no one. I don't even know if I could last eight years. I'd be so discouraged. (laughs) But he pressed on. And after those eight years, through his patient endurance, the Lord was doing a work in him. He began to see fruit. And much of Christianity in China comes back to him and his missionary movement. But anyway, that's a tangent. But what I wanted to say is that through those eight years, when he was having trouble, he was going there like a British eight, uh, 19th century white man, dressed in his big hat and his tux and whatever. And the people of China was just not receiving it well because he just didn't look like them. You know, he looked like an alien. And so they, they, they were finding it hard to, to hear him and he was finding it hard to enter villages and they were just rejecting him. And so he was willing to lay that aside. He started to dress like a Chinese man. And... and we look at that now like, oh, that's nothing. But back then, that was something. For a white, educated man of England then to dress as, as, as a Chinese man, which, you know, it, back then, they were looked down upon by the English, was something. He was ready to lay aside what people thought of him, his own rights, in order to adapt to the, the culture that he was in, in order to share the gospel. He saw that his dress code and was getting in the way of the gospel, essentially. And he laid it aside and... and yeah, wore Chinese clothes. But in that illustration, it just, it's just enforcing the point of, of what Paul's trying to say here is that we ought to be ready and willing to lay aside our rights, our identities, our racial identities, our court, in order to get the gospel. That, that's loving our neighbors. It's putting them before us. It's putting their needs before our own. Also, we see from this passage the aim the aim of Paul's evangelism. And we see it in verse 19, that I may win more of them 
And we also see it in verse 22. I have become all things to all people, but that by all means I might save some. This was Paul's motive and desire. It was to win souls. It was to win people to Jesus Christ. Paul was aware of the cost. Paul was aware of the value of a single human being. And he was not willing, his love for them, his love for their souls, he was not willing to let anything get in the way. And I think we need to be reminded of this. You know, we need to be reminded as the church that we are here, God has given us the commission, and the commission is to win souls, to win souls to Christ. It's, it's, I mean, we thank God for apologetics and for all the different uh, methods people use to evangelize. But, you know, what I see so much in apologetics is that people just want to win the argument. You know, we, and I've, I've done that before, you know, I've studied hard, I've learned about Islam, sim- simply so I can just tell them that Muhammad's false, simply so I just have, simply so I can just convince them that they're wrong and I'm right. You know, and, 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 and if we're not careful, we can develop that type of spirit where we just want to prove that people are wrong and not right. But this was not Paul's desire. This is not evangelism shaped by the gospel. Our desire is not to win an argument. Let them have the argument if necessary. I'm trying to tell you about a person. I'm trying to tell you about Jesus Christ. I want to bring you to him. I want you to be saved, is what Paul's saying. And so this is our commission. We are to act in love to our neighbors, in loving their souls by bringing them to Christ. We can't just stop by relieving their physical suffering, though we need to do that. We can't just stop by giving. Yes, we need to do that. But we need to be willing and desiring. How can we bring these people to Christ? That is the ultimate goal. You know, there was the example of um, D.L. Moody. He was another evangelist preacher. And um, he was talking to someone, a, a young evangelist in his office, and the young evangelist was like, you know, how, how are you so passionate when you're preaching? You know, I, I, I want to be passionate. I want, I want to, uh, to preach like you. I want to be passionate, but I just can't find the passion. Um, and D.L. Moody said, you know, look out the window. And so the, the young evangelist goes and he looks out the window and, you know, it's a packed street in New York, I think. You know, loads of people walking. And Moody says to the, uh, to the young evangelist, you know, what do you see? And the young evangelist says, well, I see people. And then Moody was like, well, that's your problem, is that I see souls. You see people, I see souls. Every time I stand up and preach, eternity is hanging in the balance for men and women. Every time I preach, some are being saved from eternal hell souls and through understanding that his evangelism was was transformed and so we too must have that outlook we too must be passionate to win souls we too must desire and look for the opportunity to share and communicate the gospel in word and in deed and until we understand and believe and hold fast the fact that for every unbeliever They are under God's wrath. They are awaiting eternal judgment. Hell is a real thing. And if we love our neighbors, we will not be afraid to say that. You know, if someone's walking across the road and a car's about to hit them, I won't mind saying, move, 
I mean, disturbing their peace and tranquility is nothing because they're about to get hit by a car. And in the same way, we shouldn't be afraid to disturb the status quo. We shouldn't be afraid to tell people, get out the way. And so we need to be ready to do that. And it's in love. It's, it's in love. It's not in a mean spirit. It's not in a... It's, it's in love. We need to have love in our hearts as we do this. But we need to be willing and ready to do this. We have to love our neighbors in this type of way. And so we thank God for, you know, uh, my, my brother, my older brother, who's not a believer, you know, he, he, we would talk about uh, faith and stuff. And he'll say to me, he'll be like, you know, what, what has Christianity done for society? And I'm like, are you serious? I'm like, the laws that are protecting your house was built off the, the, the Bible for one. But not only that, the hospital that your wife's going to have her child at or the hospital that you're going to get your arm fixed at is probably a St. Mary's, a St. Peter's or whatever. It's named after a saint. It was built mainly by Christians. And, you know, so it, let's not allow people to say that Christians are no good to the world. That is a lie. Who has built more schools and hospitals than Christians? But we have to remember, and I just want to labor this point, that we are not a charity. The church is not a charity so much. Yes, we are to do charitable acts, but we are not a charity. We are the pillar of truth in the world. We are an army. We are plundering and storming the gates of hell and pulling people out. That was the image that Christ gave, right? The gates of hell shall not prevail. Even as Rod was saying that that's not us on the defensive, but that what, uh, what Christ is teaching is that that's the church on the offensive. As a church, we are on the offensive. So much times we feel like, oh, we, you know, we're on the defensive. And it does feel like that. And that's because we, we're not understanding the gospel, my friends. We're not understanding who we are in Christ. The church started with a few 12 men, fishermen and tax collectors, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Understanding the gospel. And you see, read the book of Acts, you see what such a witness, such a love that was put into their hearts done. It transformed the Roman Empire. And it can happen today. Not in us, not from us, but by a revival of the Holy Spirit. And that will begin in prayer. That will begin in prayer. You know, Jonathan Edwards said, wherever I go to a church and I see the believers praying, for me, that's the beginning of revival. You know, where the church is praying, that's where revival is beginning. And lastly, just a last point, we also see here its motive and purpose. We see, how would I say it? We see an evangelism that's shaped by the gospel. We see its purpose and its motive and that's in verse 23 i kind of already mentioned this but i'll just mention it again a bit more in verse 23 i do all for the sake of the gospel that i may share with them in its blessings this is why paul does what he does as an evangelist to the gentiles to jew this is why paul lays aside his rights this is why Paul is willing to give up even his racial identity, his wealth, his culture. He does it all for the sake of the gospel. If we were to ask Paul, why? Why are you here suffering? 
You, you was a wealthy Jew. Why have you given up your status? You was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Why are you here among Gentiles? Why are you ready to eat pig and fish and, you know, things that Jews simply would not eat? And he would say, for the gospel. For the gospel. Everything he done was for the gospel. His thankfulness, appreciation, and love for what Christ had done for him. Friends, we need to understand that the gospel is the door to Christ, but it's also the road which, which we travel on. We do not outgrow the gospel, but we grow into the gospel. The gospel widens and deepens with years. You know, you could have a Christian who's been a Christian for 50 years, 70 years, and it would be true to say that they've only begun to know the gospel. They've only touched its bottom. They've, they've only touched the surface. They've only scraped the surface. We never, never outuse the gospel. We must walk step by step in its reality. And so what Paul is saying here, the reason I do everything for the gospel, essentially comes back to why we love our neighbors. Yes, we love them, for we are to love people. But we are able, we are motivated to love because we have been loved. Because I've been loved by Christ perfectly, fully, completely, freely. I'm able to love others freely, not based upon their identity, not based upon their status, not based upon their wealth. But as me, a sinner, Christ has loved me, I can now love others. I'm now enabled to love others. And that's so important. You know, you have humanitarians who love people for people's sake. And the problem with that is that what about when they're no longer thankful for your help? We, we know that. What about when out of an act of love, you go to give someone a cup of cold water and they hear out of your hand and say, I don't want it. And you're like, wait a minute, I'm trying to help you. We've all had situations where we've only been doing the good thing to people and people have not appreciated it. They've not said thank you. You know, that we may have brought up a child our whole life sacrificing and that child just disobeys and go, goes and does what he or she wants to do. You know, we can never base our motive for doing good on the performance of other people or you are going to be let down terribly and you're going to be discouraged. You are going to be hurt and discouraged. The reason we love people is because we've been loved by Christ. And therefore, if people don't appreciate it, it was never about them. It was about him. It was never about, yes, we want to make people happy and, and, and joyful, but it was never about that. It was about God's glory. It was about Christ. It was about the gospel. And we can't forget that. We are to love our enemies. See, only the gospel can produce a love for our enemies. You know, as Oli was saying earlier to me, he was saying um, that, you know, Christ's command to, to not go one mile but two miles with, with someone who asks for you to carry their stuff. Or, you know, if they ask for your tunic, give your coat. Only the gospel produces that type of ethic. And I feel so sad for people who want to take that ethic and remove it from doctrine, remove it from gospel truth, because you will not be able to do that for long. You'll do that and that person will just not say thank you and you'll be like, I'm not doing that no more. <laughs> You know, you'll be discouraged. 
And so it's, we cannot separate the ethic of Christianity, the morals, the, the, the love in our neighbor, going the extra mile from the reality that we have been loved, forgiven, redeemed, saved, bought at a price. We must be holding those two in our mind. And so if you feel discouraged, if you've been loving a child and they're disobeying, if you've been loving a friend and they're not appreciating, if you've been building up a family and seeing no fruit, remember why you're doing it. Remember why even if what you want does not happen, your Savior Christ is so glorified. You're still saved. You remember what Jesus said to the, um, his disciples when they came back, you know, the, the, the demons are subjected to us. And he says, don't rejoice in that. Don't rejoice that the demons are subjected to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Can you rejoice over that? That your name is written in heaven. That's a cause for rejoicing. No matter what your circumstances are, rejoice in that. No matter how hard it is for you right now, rejoice that your name is written in heaven. And as you do that, as you rest in Christ, then you'll begin to see fruit. One of, one of the verses that God is just using to transform my life is Isaiah 30, 15. God's, God says there, in repentance and rest you will be saved, and in quietness and trust is your strength. I love that verse because it's so upside down. You hear it, you're like, wait, in repentance and rest I'm saved, and in doing nothing, in quietness and trust is my strength? It's, it's, you know, I, I could go off on that, but I'm not going to do it. But that is a wonderful verse. I encourage you to meditate upon it. So be encouraged. An application that I would like to say is, from this, let us learn to soak our minds and hearts in the gospel. That's what shapes us. These principles, sacrifice and purpose, this is for our lives. This is not just evangelism. It was so hard for me to make a sermon on evangelism because I was like, you know, I'm, not, I'm good at making sermons on the gospel, but evangelism, it just was difficult. So I had to shape it around the gospel. I had to get it in there somewhere. But let us soak our minds in the gospel. This is what shapes us. Romans 12 one and two, therefore be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will know the will of God, the perfect and acceptable will of God. So, of, some, so much of us desire wisdom and we think that in a moment of crisis, wisdom is just going to be dropped onto us. And it's true, we can ask God, God will give us special wisdom. But the way of wisdom is reading the Bible daily. If we want to be wise, we need to transform and renew our minds by laboring in the scriptures to understand what God is saying. And then we develop wisdom. We develop wisdom. And so we always need, so yeah, so we need to be in the gospel, reminding ourselves daily. You know the scripture in Deuteronomy 11 where Moses says to the Israelites concerning the law. He says this, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children talking about them when you sit at home and when, you are, and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on your doorframe of your houses and on your gates. That's how, you know, if they had to do that with the law, which Paul calls the covenant of death, the letter of death, how much are we supposed to do that? How much more should we do that with the message of life? We need to be fixing it on our minds handing it around our necks, putting it on our doorposts. I'm redeemed. I'd love to have that on the front of my door. Redeemed. Saved. Reminding ourselves daily. 
of gospel truth, which will enable us and strengthen us to love our neighbours, as, as I have been saying. Then let us act. Let us lay aside our rights. Let us live sacrificially for the gospel. Let us seek to love our neighbours in word and in deed. You know, Romans 10, beautiful feet. Him who brings the good news. The God says you have beautiful feet. And so, brothers and sisters, let us, let us act. Let us love our neighbours, but do it from having your mind shaped by the gospel. You may have done it in your own strength and been left discouraged. But the gospel will give you new strength as you rest in it and believe it. Give you new strength to act. Let's close in prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word. We do thank you for your truth, Lord. We thank you that it's not us. It's not our ability. It's not our strength. It's not our willpower, Lord. Thank you that it's not even for others that we act or do things. But it's for you. You are the source of love, the source of all goodness. And we can't do anything apart from you. Lord, we just own that and confess that now, that apart from you, we can do nothing. Lord, please help us to know, to understand your word, to begin that lifelong journey, to continue on that lifelong journey of growing in, keeping ourselves in the love of God. Father, we long to grow. We long to be more like you. We long to love our neighbors. So, Father, come shape our minds and our hearts that we may do it from a place of joy and not discouragement. Let our minds and hearts be controlled by the love of Christ. Father, help us to see that there are souls, 7 million, 11 million, whatever the number is in this, this city, Lord, who do not know you. Give us a passion for the lost. Give us a passion for our brothers and sisters. Give us a passion, Lord. Help us to see as you see. That even if there was one sinner in the world, you would have still died for that one sinner. That is the value that you place on a human soul. Help us to also have that in our hearts and our minds. And we pray as doing so, Lord, that we would be a fruitful, vibrant church and people for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.